1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: Connecting to the big show.
0: In three, two, one. You know what I mean? It just doesn't compute, you know. The law is the law.
2: Peter, this is in our hands. I mean, it really is.
0: People were there. We will continue to raise our voices.
2: We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just
0: talk? Call 1850-715-996.
2: Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696.
0: Email opinion at 96FM.ie.
2: The lines are live. Let's
0: kickstart the conversation.
2: This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On
0: Cork's 96FM.
2: It's
3: a bright and sunny morning and some bright and positive news coming for Besbra, for the Besbra commemoration people, for people whose lives were affected by Besbra, for people who had children born in Besbra, and most of all, for those who lost children in Besbra, for whom they have no account. News broke in the last hour that a major development planned for 179 apartments has been turned down by On Board Planal. That story broken uh, by own English of the Irish Examiner. Owen, good morning.
4: Good morning, PJ. What
3: more can you tell us? Because people will be welcoming this news.
4: Well, PJ, uh, you've kind of summed it up in a nutshell there, basically. Um, we had a development firm MWB2 who had unveiled proposals last year for a large residential development on a privately owned site near the Folly on the uh, former Besborough estate. And they split the, the, the residential development called Gateway View into two separate uh, projects, one of which it was essentially three apartments, this 179-unit, three-apartment element. They applied to board Panola directly for planning permission to advance that project. But part of the site on which those apartments were to be built overlapped an area of land that was marked on historic maps of the Besborough estate as a children's burial ground. Mm -hmm. And the board decided to basically hold an oral hearing into the proposed development uh, and they spent three days hearing from experts on both sides. They heard from experts from the developers and uh, from people on the opposing side over three days last month. And um, I think uh, the crucial uh, evidence that they heard during that hearing was put forward by members of the Cork Survivors and Supporters Alliance. They they found uh, a, what they call a trace map that was prepared by the Ordnance Survey Ireland uh, in 1949-1950. And it was this map that clearly marks an area just to the north of the Folly. Mm-hmm. It mar- it's marked on the map as Children's Burial Ground. And it's on this point that the entire oral hearing turned, really. Now, the developers put forward their own witnesses to say, look, our experts tell us that it's unlikely that any children are buried buried at this site. And we must remember, PJ, that we're, of course, talking about 859 unrecorded burials, you know, children's burials of the 923 children who died while either in Besborough or in the care of Besborough between 1928 and 1998 uh, when it's closed, sorry, 1922 and 1998 when it closed, records weren't kept for the vast majority of these burials, so nobody really knows where these children are buried, and it's, it's the fact that this map that was prepared by experts for the Ordnance Survey of Ireland in the ni- late 1940s, early 1950s, clearly marked on one map at children's burial ground upon which all of this turned and uh, having considered all of that evidence, um, the board inspector had uh, a month to prepare her report on all of the issues that were raised. Uh, she prepared her report before the May 25th deadline. She has presented her report to the members of board Panala, along with her recommendations for their consideration. And my understanding is that the board considered her report just in the last couple of days, mm-hmm. that they signed their order either on Monday or Tuesday, it was posted out to people who attended the oral hearing and it started arriving in their post this morning and the board has refused planning permission to the developers for this 179-unit three-apartment block development and they gave the reason uh, because of their concerns about the possible location of a children's burial ground on the development site.
3: That's a very, Um, very strong finding.
4: It it is. It is, PJ. They said... um, Uh, you know, they they said that there are reasonable concerns in relation to the potential for a children's burial ground within the site associated with the former use of the lands as a mother and baby home over the period 1922 to 1998. Uh, The board said in this context, it considers that it would be premature to grant permission for this proposed development prior to establishing whether there is a children's burial ground located within the site. And also, they said that they would like for the extent of any such burial grounds to be established as well.
3: Mm. So um, they're they effectively said, calling for a full investigation here, Owen?
4: They, they are. Now, the next question, PJ, I suppose, is is who, who's going to do that? Um, we, we heard during the oral hearing, and I know that you've dealt with this before, uh, does that responsibility fall to the state? Does it fall to developers who might want to come forward again with other proposals? Because there are others... Uh, lining up to develop other areas of the former Besborough estate, uh, does it fall to them to conduct, you know, uh, a tourist site investigation? And we're talking, you know, they'd have to go in there with ground-penetrating radar. They'd have to do very extensive digs to, to establish beyond doubt whether or not any children's burial uh, took place on any of the land. It's going to cost money. And the question is, should that responsibility now fall to the state? or will it be left to developers who want to take this on?
3: Now, there's another part of this MWB2 application that's still alive. Can you explain that to me, the fourth apart- apartment block?
4: Yeah, it's kind of confusing, PJ, so, so, so bear with me, and, I will. and apologies to, to your listeners, but uh, basically MWB2 owns uh, a parcel of land in the southeastern corner uh, near near the Folly. And they want to build four apartment blocks in total. They went to Embour-Planola for planning permission to build three. That has now been refused. Uh, But they went to Cork City Council for the fourth apartment block. Now, that apartment didn't overlap any area of land that would be associated or that might be associated with children's burials. Um, But Cork City Council uh, refused planning for that apartment block. And in its decision, it said that it would be premature to grant planning for that one. Until uh, the the larger uh, uh, development is considered, Mm -hmm. and I suppose now that that has been considered, uh, the question is um, what will on board and all of the view now be of that fourth apartment block? Because when the city council refused permission for that, the developers appeal that decision to the board. So the board still has to rule on the fourth apartment block. But I think, given that it's an integral part of the overall development. And that the and that the, the larger part of the development has been refused. I think the board could shoot the fourth apartment block down as well.
3: One assumes, Owen, that MWB to have a right of appeal here.
4: Well, I suppose, you know, the only right of appeal they would have is to seek a judicial review of the board's decision. Um, so, you know, my understanding is that the developers are, are, as we speak, you know, looking at the board's decision. They're going to try and get feedback from the board on why it's a right at its decision. And we await a statement from them on what they do next. But uh, there's there's no two ways about it. it. It's a victory for campaigners who have always uh, argued uh, for a full investigation of lands in Bedsbury to establish whether or not any children were buried there, and it's a blow to the developers.
3: All right, Owen, thank you very much. And a very comprehensive report by Owen English on the Examiner website at the moment goes into even more detail. And thank you, Owen, for so much detail at such short notice as to what he has uh, gone through with me on the program this morning. But the big, big breaking news apart from fishing trawler protests, which we'll get to, and other things which we'll get to during the morning. The big breaking story on the opinion line this morning on cars 96, FM, broken an hour ago by the Irish examiner, is that the Besborough Mother and Baby Home, the application to develop 179 apartments on that site has been turned down by Unboard Planola. But reading into the Unboard Planola judgment, And this is my interpretation, listening to Owen and reading what's before us this morning. The department, the planning board, the planning authority is effectively calling for a full investigation before Assad is turned on anything down there. Which is what campaigners have been asking for quite some time. Uh, one of the founders of the Know My Own Group and one of the founders of the Besbrook Commemoration Committee and a long, long-time campaigner and a Besbrook baby himself. Martin Parfrey, you must be over the moon this morning.
5: Good morning, PJ. Um, yeah. you mentioned to on English, that a lot of people will welcome this news. That has to be the understatement of the year. (laughs) I would have thought so, yeah. I would have thought so. It's absolutely fantastic news. And, you know, uh, uh, Cork City Council rejected the application that came before them, and I was expecting that to happen. Mm. But I wasn't as confident that on board Tlala would reject what came before them. Mm-hmm. and so um, i can't believe it this morning. <laughs> I'm stunned yeah. um
3: you you went and spoke to the Ractor Committee and all about this, didn't you
5: i did and um, last month um and on the day, I kept hammering the point now this Iraqtus committee were talking about the certain institutional burials bill, not just Belsborough. but I focused mostly on Belsborough. Because that was the more important one seeing as there was already an application for planning in the process. And I pointed out to them that there were over 800 bodies unaccounted for, actually more than the number of bodies in shown, unaccounted for, and that they, those bodies could be anywhere on the grounds of Bellsborough. Historically, we've heard of babies being passed out. No, I mean, I did see the map that was referred to. But we've heard historically of babies' bodies being passed out through windows for burial to workers. Mm. And they could be anywhere on the grounds of Bellsborough. You know, they're, they're not necessarily in one specific place.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, do, do you read, as I read, and I know on Board Panola's report, I don't think it's still up on their it's still not up on their website. It's come out, but it's still not on their website. But do you read into it, as I read into it, that on Board Panola is pretty much saying this needs to be further investigated?
5: They, well, that seems to be what they're saying. But I'd go further. When I was in Leinster House addressing the Oireachta subcommittee, I did say that nothing should be allowed to happen in Belsborough without a full investigation of the grounds. But I also said that, better again, the state should take over the likes of Belsborough, Shan Abbey, Castle Pollard, and... ...retain them as memorial gardens to all those who died there. Yeah. That, that that would actually be the right thing to do. <clears throat> no, an investigation at the very minimum. Yeah. But that the state should actually preserve them as memorial gardens to all those who died. And I did point out to the Iraqis Committee that day... ...that a lot of the relatives of those who died in Besborough are still alive... They're still trying to find out where their babies were buried. And, you know, I said that these people need closure. They deserve closure. And if any development was allowed without an investigation, any chance of closure would be gone forever.
3: Martin, speaking at the commemoration, uh, the last time we were able to do it in 2019, uh, Fergus Finlay referred to it as a crime scene the great Catherine Corliss has referred to it as a crime scene and let's look at the facts 923 children died while at her in the care of Besbra only 64 sets of burial records have been found there are 859 missing children is it time to declare Besbra a crime scene and have it properly investigated
5: Without a doubt, and um, I've always maintained it that it should be declared a crime scene and apart from then, there was horrendous you know I mean that number of babies their bodies were just dumped callously um, probably without any religious ceremony, no markings on the graves you know they were just thrown out like a bit of trash and um, oh. And what was done there was horrific. It was
3: absolutely shameful. Martin, Uh, you and I have been friends for many years, and and I've been a proud member of the Commemoration Committee myself for a number of years, so I cannot be unbiased on this. You, my friend, must be over the moon with with joy this morning, and many others beside you. You'd better believe it.
5: (laughs) I've already spoken to one or two of them, and they're absolutely thrilled. Yeah, This I mean, this battle has gone on for so long. I mean, long before MWB2 um, ever appeared on the scene. This battle has been going on. But, you know, it's great to see that... Uh, that right has been
3: done at last. And that's about the best way to, to, to leave it. Martin, thank you very much. Martin Parfrey, a founder of the Know My Own organisation, founder of the Besborough Commemoration Committee, of which I too am a very proud member, and I declare open hand on this. I'm totally biased on this story. I cannot be any other way. I too am ecstatically happy with this decision this morning. Look, it might be appealed, it might not. But this is the right thing has been done. And remember this, if we read in our... If you're, if you're still cynical or sceptical, if we read in our newspapers that there were 859 missing children somewhere else in the world and nobody was looking for them or nobody was trying to find out what happened to them, we would be outraged. We don't have to look outside of the city bounds for such a scandal. Thank you, Martin, and thank you, Owen, 1850 Remind you, once again, on the Examiner website this morning, Owen has a very, very detailed reportage on this decision by on-board Planola. 1857 15996. I'd love your thoughts. I would love your thoughts. Ah, there's my friend Carmel Cantwell. Carmel says, what a morning. I'm shaking at the decision to refuse planning. Today, the children were listened to. We may still have a way to go and get to, get, to them, get them justice. May they rest in peace. And William, thank you for guiding me. William is her brother. Thank you, Caramel.
6: Can we just talk?
2: The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With
0: Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. You guys ready? Watch out, watch out.
2: Drive home weekdays from four
0: on Quirks 96 FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. Make sure to join me weekdays for four hours of the best music mix. I've got the biggest prizes up for grabs. You pick the playlist on the takeover, and there's almost a celebrity or two revealing the unexpected. Every summer,
7: I'd be going to the bog
0: and
2: doing turf. I can confirm a tea break at the Bug is the best.
0: I'll talk to you weekdays from four.
2: The big drive home.
0: Let's talk business with Ford Lease, hassle free vehicle leasing. Search Ford to
2: find out
3: more The Big Drive Home On courts 96FM By text here, and this is a particularly good text I'm going to read it If a single body, if one body was found in a house they'll seal off the house and investigate Why should this be any different? 1850 715 996 We heard the news last evening that the Mercy Hospital, or Mercy University Hospital, to give it its modern name, but the Mercy, as it will always be known, is now involved in this ransomware uh, attack, this cyber attack. Mercy University Hospital has secured an injunction from the High Court restraining any of its data from being shared, processed, sold or published. Now... The court case is one thing, but I want to get a technical view on this. Ronan Murphy from Smart Tech 24-7. Ronan, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Is this part of what we began to learn about two weeks ago, or is it something separate?
7: No, it's part of it. It, 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 It's definitely part of it. The timelines are the same. The ransomware is the same. The techniques are the same. Um, So it is part of it. I think where there's a degree of ambiguity here is that the data in the Mercy um, is outside of the realms of the super injunction that Paul Reid and the HSC got. So uh, they've had to get a separate injunction to protect themselves from, from the specific data which is outside the, the ring fence of the, the first injunction that was, was uh, ordered. And this is because of the nature
3: of the Mercy itself in that it works with the HSE, but it's not actually part of HSE. Correct. Absolutely. So what what... What does it? What was found, or do you know?
7: Well, as in when what you did say they what found? found they found
3: they found messages and they found messages on their systems.
7: Well, I mean, they had the exact same problem that the HSE had. So, what you have to remember, PJ, is when you look at the health service, it's a it's a hub and spoke model, um, meaning that you've got the mothership, and then you've got lots of different. Um, connections going out from the mothership to various different hospitals, right? And that's that's so that they can share centralised systems like radiology and cardiology and all these different platforms. Um, And some of the hospitals were successful. So when these guys got in, right, to the HSE, they, they were in there with unfettered access. they could do what they liked. They had their own at the run into place. Mm. so what they firstly did was they tried to you know not only scope out the hSC but they tried to figure out where else there was value that they could compromise easily and um Some of the connections to specific hospitals were were, were stonewalled, right there was security in place. some um, didn't have that security, and in that instance, they would have gotten in. They would have done exactly a replica of what they did inside the HSE. They would have uh, stolen the data. They then would have encrypted it and then they would have left the note. So um, uh, the, the big issue here is that it's um, it's it's the same problem, but the legal injunction isn't covering them, you know. Mm.
3: Now, I would be inclined to think, Roland, that the kind of people who do something like this don't give a company course about court injunctions anyway.
7: You're right, but you no, know, it is the injunction is very important. I know. To be honest, it's a little bit of a of 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 a running joke amongst people that they serve the injunction on them, but in fact, there's method to the madness, right? Because the society we now live in, everything propagates via uh, uh, social media. So, for example, you know, there's a lot of talk in, uh, about this being a double extortion. In fact, it's not a double extortion; it's a triple extortion. And the reason it's a triple extortion is they're trying to extort you, number one, to decrypt your data. Number two, they're trying to extort you, not to leak the data. But then number three, they actually extort victims of the data by trying to embarrass them or shame them into giving them money. Um, so it's a triple extortion case. It's not a double extortion case. And why the High Court injunction is important is that how they will try and embarrass people, for example, should you have a, you know, a sexually transmitted disease or something else, they would... Try and send it to all of your connections on Facebook or Instagram or any of these social media platforms, um, and what the injunction does is that puts tremendous pressure on the social platforms not to allow the propagation of that data and indeed, it means that if you know if someone tries to send it to you on whatsapp or a text message, they would also be in serious trouble so it means that that triple extortion aspect to this it makes it more difficult for them to to, gotcha. to, to make that work. you know cuz so i was indu- wondering when i heard about
3: the i i was wondering when i heard and i think a lot of people would have been Ronan, wondering about a High Court injunction like some shower of thugs cyber thugs over in Russia aren't going to be too bothered by a High Court injunction but, but the explanation of if they found something for example in my file in the mercy that they could use to extract money from me by way of threatening embarrassment that prevents that from being shared
7: Correct. It's, 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 it's triple extortion. That's what it is. And it's, there's, a, there's a well-documented case where a psychiatric hospital in Finland was hacked. All of the psychiatric records were stolen. And then they um, systematically contacted every patient in the psychiatric hospital and said, look, we have your full psychiatric record here. We're going to share it with all of your contacts on your social platforms um, unless you pay us. And it was a huge scandal in Finland, so that was triple extortion. It um, went all the way from being the hospital to the data to the user. Mm-hmm. And um, what this does is this, this, this kind of puts the, the, the mediums to facilitate right. that extortion, it puts them under inc- incredible legal pressure to you know, to be on top of their game so it doesn't happen.
3: What it bears down to, if I see, a, if I see something on social media that is defamatory, and I rebroadcast it here in the programme. I'm also guilty of defamation. It's something, along, it's something along those lines, uh, Ronan. While I have you there, we heard in the last week or so about encryption keys and and where it came from and and what what. Did, so where are we now as compared to where we were two, two weeks ago? We're still in a mess, but is it less of a mess or what's the story?
7: Yeah, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating development. Uh, PJ, um, I mean, I have not seen this happen before. It was um, this came from left to field, and there's a lot of speculation. Firstly, of why the decryption key came, right? Some people are saying they paid. Some, you know, I, I, it's, it's kind of obvious they didn't pay. Um, I personally believe it was pressure from the Russian government um, uh, that made them give up the decryptor keys to try and get the health system back up and running. Um, the having access to the keys has substantially. Um, improved the situation. It's a very bad situation still,
6: mm-hmm. but
7: it has substantially improved. That I mean, they will get the systems up and running um, much quicker as a as a consequence of having it. But nonetheless, it is still going to be a, a slow and protracted right. um, uh, mess trying to get the whole thing back up and running. Is but it it's still definitely...
3: system by system, computer yeah. by computer, laptop by laptop?
7: Yep, it sure is. It's, right. it's so so it's 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 A couple of things, right? So if you're a hospital, let's take the Mercy, for example, where they've had their data encrypted, they now have to go through a process of trying to decrypt that data and get the whole thing back up and running. So they're obviously going to be uh, on the back foot. Um, Other hospitals who haven't been um, encrypted, they have to go through a process of ensuring that these guys haven't um, managed to put any surprises inside in their network. So they have to do a forensic sweep from A to Z and make sure that the, that they're not in there, and that when they do switch everything back on and when they do connect back up, that they're actually protected. Mm. So it's it's quite a laborious process. So you've got the master key,
3: fronts. but that's only the start. Of it. And I think I heard you on another radio program saying that these keys can be extremely buggy. Now, again, that's a computer term. What does that mean? It, it, they just don't work very well. Right. <laughs> they're, they're buggy. They, um, Even though they these guys are computer geniuses and can get into the system and destroy the system but the encryption key is a messy affair
7: that that's weird yeah like they what they do is um, I mean whenever you whenever you take um, whenever you take a piece of data and you jumble it up into um, gobbledygook let's call it right which is encryption um, that's actually the easy part of the whole thing the the hard part is to take that mess and, and reinstate it back into its original form and that's what encryption and decryption is um, so these guys put tremendous time, energy and effort into their uh, techniques to hack companies and get in and steal the data and encrypt it. But the painful part and the, the, the laborious part for them is you know, building the, the keys to decrypt it. And they don't put as much effort into right. that. And therefore, it's problematic. Now, I've look, I've dealt with, Jesus, we're dealing with nine or 10 of these at the moment as we speak. And in, in, in cases where we have the decryption keys, you, they tend to work like 80% of the time, I would say. Right. Um, and then 20% of it gets corrupted and it's yeah. difficult to restore, but it definitely it does make it a lot quicker.
3: You're men- you mentioned finally that your belief is that ransom was not paid, and indeed the government insists a ransom was mm-hmm. not paid. But you think, looking at the situation, that it wasn't. What gives you that impression?
7: Um, I, I believe it wasn't because number one you can see the communication trail in the on the dark web between the, the government or the, the HSC and and their consultants and, and Conti and I mean it's quite funny when when they served them with the injunction the, the boys in Russia responded with a question mark in other words, you know, why are you sending us this? They probably didn't think of the triple extortion piece. But um I, I so I so the fact that they're now, you know, selling the data and um on the dark web, would would lead you to the, the conclusion that the government haven't paid. But um, I, my speculation is that it was the Russian government. I think the Russian government looked at it. You see, one of the really important things about these guys, PJ, and it, it, this is an important point, the Russian government have a hand-in-glove symbiotic relationship with these gangs. These gangs are incredibly useful to the Russian government because if these gangs attack a health service or an electricity grid or a water supply in a country, it undermines people's fundamental trust in their government to protect them. And that's very helpful if they want to destabilize the UK or they want to destabilize North America or some other part of the world. And um, there's typically, you know, relatively warm relationships between Ireland and Russia. We're in the midst of a global pandemic. We're a small country. We're neutral. Um, and the fact that our health service has been brought to its knees, I think Russia have looked at that and they said, "You know what? This isn't a good look." Uh, despite uh, you know all the Christ fighting, is. just hijacked their plane. Um, I think we should, you know, uh, the word has come down. Give them the decryptor. That's my personal view. I could be completely wrong, but if I were to for, sense. For, if I were to roll the the, the 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 dice on it, this is that's where I I, I would speculate that right. the pressure has come from.
3: Ronan, thank you very much again for being with us on the opinion line. Ronan Murphy from Smart Tech 24 7 penetration testing and security. Uh, one of the foremost experts in cybersecurity in the country at this stage. Uh, thanks, Ronan. 1850
6: 715996.
2: Can we just talk? The opinion line on Cork's 96 FM with
0: Dairy Made Premium Spread 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream.
2: All this dies on one show. This is Dironipa. Hi, this is Tiesto. Oi, this is Shane Conn. Hey, this is Amory. Hey, it's me, Justin Bieber. This is Joe Corey. I go by the name of the weekend. The hit mix with Shane Bucks On your radio Weeknights from 8 With
0: Lucy's Nissan Charleville Put a smile on your face With the all new Duke The Kubey Crossover
2: LucyMotors.com Corks 96FM
3: The whole debate on PCR and rapid antigen tests Is up a gear in the last few days uh, Because we still in this country I am never insist that the PCR is the only way to go and you remember a couple of weeks ago when Lidl started selling PCR uh, antigen tests that uh, it, it weren't exactly happy about it. There's, there's something going on in this country with regard to rapid antigen testing. The rest of Europe seems to be using it. The airline industry is calling for it to be used. And yesterday in the Doyle, uh, the youngest TD in the house, Cork's James O'Connor of Affinna raised the issue. James, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Now, it is a strange debate in this country in that rapid antigen testing our our public health authorities just don't seem to like it very much.
8: You know, you've hit the nail in the head there, PJ, in regards to that. Uh, There seems to be a lot of discussion going on in political circles around PCR and rapid antigen testing. Uh, Rapid antigen testing is something I'm a huge supporter of. Uh, I am because I think it's going to allow us to return to a degree of normality a little bit sooner than what others would have planned. So I'm talking about people getting back to sports matches, but particularly for international travel. I think it represents an enormous opportunity for us to get people back into disguise, hopefully at the end of the summer when the Digital Green Certificate is implemented. And there are huge benefits of using antigen testing over PCR testing in terms of the timelines that it requires and all such pJ costs, which is a very important point that has to be made.
3: Your issue, though, really, or the government's issue, James, of which you're a member, of course, is that NEFIT, the advisory body set up to advise the government on these things, Nefit doesn't
8: like antigen testing. That seems to be very, very clear. It is. Uh, You know, that's something that I personally have quite a problem with. You know, the government prioritised the implementation uh, of an actual focus group through a a report to look into this issue by Mark Ferguson, Professor Mark Ferguson, who was head of the Science Foundation of Ireland. Uh, There wasn't a full agreement amongst the members of the team that he had assembled, but the majority were in favour of having... A, a antigen testing system to complement the PCR system. Uh, we have seen antigen being used in limited settings, such as for people working, at, for example, in the National Children's Hospital. Uh, many of the builders and construction workers workers on that project uh, were using antigen testing, and it's been hugely successful. And PJ, a really important point to make, uh, there are obviously arguments against antigen. I accept that. I think uh, you, could, you, you could appreciate that, others can too, around its accuracy. But in a, in a setting like an airport or an aircraft or a, a stadium, you know, it's much easier to police um, the, the, the use of an antigen system. Yep. So, for example, if somebody's at a turnstile or a security desk, you, you can present them with your, your valid certificate within the, uh, within the past 24 mm-hmm. hours of having a negative test. So it's much, much easier to police it. See, one of the weaknesses will, we, will appear easier. to be,
3: James, and, and this is listening to coverage of the issue in the UK, uh, is that... When uh, They always use the term when used correctly. The antigen test is very reliable. The problem is, if I'm doing it on the kitchen table, the chances of my making a mistake and not doing it correctly, I'm just a layman. I could make a mistake.
8: And you know you are right. That is a strong risk. Uh, But you must look at the settings like an airport where they can actually put in the facilities themselves. But what we haven't seen and this is very, very clear because I'm on the Transport Committee. I've been working very closely with our own airport in Cork, and yeah. to give full compliments, and they've been excellent to work with. Uh, and also with the DEA in Dublin, because the, the DEA run run Cork Airport too. Uh, you know, they are telling me that they can put the facilities in place for for peace for the rapid antigen testing if government wants to proceed. with giving them that advice, uh, and obviously what seems to be holding everything up here is Neffitt's position on this. What we will see this week, PJ, it's very, very important to say to people, um, on Friday there'll be a ream of very, very important announcements that will probably govern how we're going to approach the next five and six months, particularly around aviation, around uh, sporting events, you know, concerts, uh, pilot events that may possibly rerun. We're hearing a lot of rumours in the political circles around uh, a potential for that to be dealt with this week as well. And I'm really, really hopeful that government will take a proactive approach and look at what other countries are doing in the European Union uh, around us. But the good news, PJ, and uh, you know, stepping aside from the rapid testing aspect of all of this, you know, we're approaching a, a tipping point in the very, very near future around vaccinations. We're going to be exceeding 300,000 doses per week in the very near future. Mm. Uh, so I'm very confident at the end of June we'll have over 80% of the adult population will have received their first dose of the vaccination so we're going to be on a home run in terms mm-hmm. of getting over the now, line what, and You're the 24 now, will you? Will that include you do you think? Uh, I'm 23 unfortunately and uh, somebody I had a look at CJ I will be the last member of the eruptive vaccinated unfortunately look it's not something to complain about, very. Fortunate. No I'm just I saying in terms a...
3: well, when do you expect your first um, dose as a as, as citizen now not as a TD
8: I, I, if I was to put a, a, an educated guess in it, I would probably say, may, hopefully around the start of September, if I'm lucky, maybe the end of August, if, if the progress continues at the current race. Uh, obviously, I'm in the, the age group that falls under 25. Uh, I'm 23 years of age at the moment. I'm yeah. 24 in June. Uh, but I think the 25 age group is the cut-off point for, the, for that cohort. Yeah. So I'll be the very final group okay. of adults being vaccinated.
3: Right. Well, 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 here's hoping you remain in good health until such time as that comes about for you. James, before I let you go, no doubt you will have heard the Bespera news this morning and the refusal of planning permission. And already on all of my screens, there are calls for this site to be declared formally a crime scene as a Cork government TD. How do you feel about that?
8: You know, I'm very much of the view and opinion that the best site is an extremely significant uh, historical I- uh, issue in Cork, that there was uh, very, very uh, much debate around its use. And I'm of the view that it should be left... Uh, as it stands and there shouldn't be any development i think it's highly insensitive to mm-hmm. people who are survivors of vespra and an the investigation though james well. an investigation uh, yes i would be the view that that, that needs to happen and look we, we we will see in the coming days what the minister for children's approach would be on this particular issue but around the development of vespra i think it's highly insensitive to do anything on that particular site given what has happened there uh, and you know the suffering suffering, and the pain that many people have gone through, that have come through Bessera and have, have have been lucky to survive what had happened there, you know, it's been deeply troubling for them to see plans for developments and I'm of the view that this should not happen.
3: Okay, all right, James. Thank you very much. That's James O'Connor from the Fall TD for Cork East. I want to go back to something that came up in the programme yesterday and we we said we'd follow up on it. It came up innocuously enough during a conversation with travel expert Owen Corrie on the future of international travel and when we might resume. And the subject of travelling between Britain and Ireland came up and of the testing required between Britain and Ireland. And this happened.
4: We don't need to self-isolate when we go to the UK but we do on return and you do need your PCR test on return uh, you can book us over in Britain but be very careful the NHS test is not recognized by the Irish immigration authorities in one case we had 30 people carted off uh, a flight from London for a mandatory hotel quarantine not because they weren't tested but because the NHS test is not recognized it's under our COVID regulations that if you're not, if you don't have a, a test that's recognised by the Irish immigration, you have to do your mandatory hotel question. Ah, uh, yeah,
3: but I'm just wondering why the NHS? I couldn't be recognised. That's, that's bizarre. So we set out to research it a little bit. On the Foreign Office website, it was something around the or the extent to which that the paperwork you get with an NHS a PCR test isn't sufficient for international travel, and that that's why it wouldn't be accepted. Now, Tricia, who listens to us in London, Trish, you were yesterday. You were actually in a hospital yesterday, and you heard this while you were listening to us, and you asked a doctor. Good morning.
9: I did. Yeah, he was just um, checking my. Daughter. She was. She was having a. She was out for the count anyway, and he was just checking that she was okay, and I pricked, up and I said. Why isn't it? Why isn't the NHS test um, recognised for travelling to Ireland? And he said, what? Well, and I explained what that gentleman had said. And he said, oh, it's probably because we don't print out. And he said that it had been found that people were going, <laughs> turning up, I need to test, need a test, and then going off on their jollies instead <sighs> of paying for a free for a test themselves.
3: So if you turn up anyway symptomatic, you get a free test on the NHS and then they were using it to Yeah. Right.
9: Yeah.
3: Okay, so in other words that's the NHS looking after taxpayers' money.
9: Hmm, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because I mean if you're going to go if you if you have your COVID COVID I mean we've had it, unfortunately. Yeah. But if you if you You're not going to go anywhere, and they can tell by looking at you, but if you're turning up and you're wasting taxpayers' money just to go off to your villa somewhere, Mm. it's wrong.
3: So they don't give you the paperwork? No,
9: no. And you you need paperwork to travel? Yes, you get a text, and it just says, on the text, it says your name, date of birth, your NHS number, and it says your test return positive this is what you have to do right no. yeah but we do those pc is it the other ones those lateral the, flow
3: the rapid test yeah yeah we you've do done that. them at home how easy oh, are they yes. to do it that made that you know there's a controversy over here Tricia, in in that the, uh don't like us doing this but well, it's, it's it's mainstream in the uk now
9: yeah you have to do it for secondary school and for college um workplaces if you work in a school the, the staff have to do them how often? They're, not, they're not, oh, we do them twice a week. Right. right. Yeah, because she, I, I said my daughter has to do them, so we have to suck it up and do it with her. Um, right. And the only thing, you have to read the booklet, um, and in the booklet it keeps saying, wash your hands after this stage for 20 seconds, wash your hands after this stage for 20 seconds, and you're a dab hand by, by now. I've been, we've been doing them since the beginning of April. Right. Yeah, so you front, you get seven in a box, you lay it all out. And
3: how watch. much does the box cost?
9: Oh no, nothing. It's in, well, it's NHS, but you know, it's.
3: It's yeah. free at the point of, get, of picking it up. Another words. it's
9: free if you've got an NHS number. Crikey! All yeah, right. yeah.
3: Tricia, thank you for that, and glad that you listen to the show as often as you do. And has been listening, Tricia Haslow in the UK for years. Has really, I don't think any Irish, any car connection. I think her husband is a carryman or something. But she just listens to the show and she enjoys it. So there you go. The NHS is doing its job protecting taxpayers' money. It doesn't print off the. The result of your PCR test When you go to fly You're required to have a printed result Of a PCR test So it doesn't do it And the reason it doesn't do it Is because people were be going into the hospital <coughs> Getting a test Getting a clear test And going off on the holidays And wasting taxpayers' money Good on
2: the NHS
6: Can we just talk
2: The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100%
0: natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream.
2: The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk?
0: Call 1850-715-996.
2: Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696.
0: Email opinion at 96FM.ie.
2: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan
0: on Cork's 96FM. I love it
3: when you get a message that says, Hi, PJ, and all at 96FM. I know you don't normally do requests, but could you make an exception in this case? And you know, most of the time when someone asks that question, it's an exception that we'd be happy to make. And this is no exception to that rule. My mom, Mary Nagel, is 87 today. She's in the fantastic care of the Douglas Nursing Home. Loves the show, listens every day, and could we say hello and give her a shout out and all the best to 87-year-old Mary Nagel, who I'm sure could probably teach us all a few things about life and common sense. And that comes from daughters Betty, Joe, Bear, and daughter-in-law Mary and all of the grandchildren. Happy birthday to Mary. 1850-715-996, Pat Buckley, uh, Cork East T.D., has been on to say, delighted to hear the good news about Besbra. Um, and, of course, if you missed it, if you have missed it this morning and missed the news bulletins, the apartment block, planning permission for the apartment block planned at Besbra has been rejected by onboard Planola. And campaigners are absolutely ecstatic with that news. And a lot of pressure now mounting for it to be declared a crime scene. A number of people have said in the past including the great Catherine Corliss that it should be declared a crime scene and it should be investigated by the Gardaí because if we had one body that could not be found of an adult then we would investigate it to the last. But we have 857 bodies of small babies that cannot be accounted for. We don't know where they are. There are no paperwork for any of them. And that in itself... And let us never forget that. To dispose of a body without keeping a record is a crime. So let's have Besber declared a crime scene. I wonder what you think about that. And uh, People will say, oh, it's too late. Who are you going to hold accountable? That's not the question. Should we declare it a crime scene? 185715996. Sometimes women want to become a mother without a partner. They have no partner. They just want to become a mother on their own. It's called solo parenting or single motherhood by choice. And it's, a lot of people do it. I read an article in The Echo recently about a a woman who did it, a woman called Mary Butler from Douglas, um, and based in Melancholy and she looked into solo parenting when she was 40 and was successful on the first attempt and her baby Iris will be one this month and uh, congratulations to all involved but it's an unusual choice even in 2021 and how do you go about doing it? And where would you go about doing it? And and who would you talk to? I imagine you'd talk first of all to a place like the Waterstone Clinic. Ursula Lynch is the donor sperm coordinator. Ursula, good morning to you.
10: Morning, PJ. How are you this morning? Good.
3: First of all, how common is this that someone would come and say, I want to become a mother? I don't have any Um. partner.
10: Well, we've been offering this service, uh, for, for a long time now, but I suppose in the, in the last year or so, we've seen a 20% increase in women accessing donor treatment. Um, particularly in the last year, the pandemic has been hard and people are looking at their priorities and considering their fertility and, and choosing to, uh, start a family, um, on their own or exploring other treatments like egg freezing and fertility preservation. Um, so, yeah, it's, 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 an, it's an increasing area.
3: So what is the process?
10: So the process is, so um, you can get in contact with the clinic by email or phone, um, and then we go through the um, process with them. And first they meet and they speak to a doctor. They have a chat with a doctor and uh, go through their possible options and just do an MOT of their fertility and see what's the best pathway for them and treatment options. And then following that, then um, anyone considering doing um, sperm donation, we make one session with our counsellor mandatory so that you can explore and consider and just, you know, explore the options that are comfortable and there's decisions for them. And then following that, um, I meet with them and I go through the process and go through the sperm bank databases and... Help patients uh, select a donor depending on their preferences.
3: Now we don't have uh, sperm banks in this country. At least we didn't the last time I looked. Um, yeah. So where does it come from?
10: So um, we use two retro sperm banks in uh, Denmark and um, Cryos and European Sperm Bank. Um, so you know, just want to provide plenty of choice for people when they're um, going down this route and looking at donors.
3: And I suppose you'd have to have some kind of legislation as to who the donor is and are they identifiable, for example?
10: Yes, so the legislation was enacted last May. um, It comes under the Children and Families Relationship Act um, and it was originally um, enacted, so to uh, rectify the birth cert when it, came, when it comes to same-sex couples. Both names now go on birth cert. Mm. And in the case of single mothers, uh, just the mother's name goes on. But the legislation also um, made it that donors used in Ireland are identifiable non-anonymous donors. Um, and that it's clear by, in the law that the donor shall not be the parent's.
3: Shall not be the parent. Okay.
10: Yeah.
3: And and also would would the mother know who the donor was?
10: Uh no. Only the um donor to seek child at eighteen it can initiate contact with the donor either through the sperm bank or through and the uh, through the government and yeah yeah yeah
3: I, we jumped ahead a small bit there cuz i was saying right, so let us say let us say that a woman goes through the process and and conceives a child this way so she won't know who the donor was but when the child turns 18 the child has a right to find out who the donor was
10: absolutely now there's a lot of information available on the donors from Baby pictures to voice recordings to a lot of personality information and, and medical information on yeah. the donor and their family right. Um so there's qu- quite a bit of an extensive information available. Mm.
3: Is it probably better that it comes from abroad rather than coming from Ireland since we're such a small country? <laughs>
10: <laughs> um, yeah, We haven't explored that area yet but yeah it's, it's probably uh, no harm that there is from abroad.
3: Yeah. How successful is the process then?
10: So, with all fertility treatment, success comes down to the ovarian function and the age of the, of the woman you're dealing with. but um, success rates with donor sperm can be quite good. Um, as A lot of the women we're dealing with don't come with fertility issues. Um, so, the, as I said, the success rate depends on age and type of treatment. Right. So, for example, you can use um, IUI or IVF with donor sperm. So, IUI with donor sperm has about a 30% success rate. IVF uh, rates are higher. What's, what's the, like the difference it. between the
3: two, Ursula, for
10: So, IUI um, is basically where... so. All women have follicles, and the follicle contains an egg. So, in IUI, you just want to grow one or two follicles and then. When you get to follicle to a certain size, you thaw out the sperm and you inject it into the uterus and the sperm um, hopefully meets the egg from there. In IVF, then you want to grow a higher number of follicles. And then once they're ready, you take the eggs outside the body and you expose them to sperm. And then they become a fertilized egg, which is called an embryo. And then we watch the embryo development and choose the very best embryo to a back bin um, and, and spend, okay. uh, yeah. So
3: there's two processes How two much processes. does all of this cost uh,
10: Yeah so uh, donor sperm itself, so we talk about donor sperm and straws, so one straw tends to do per treatment cycle So uh, a straw can cost anything between 800 and 1200 and then you have your shipping costs Treatment then uh, will vary IUI is about 900 euros per cycle and IVF is 5000 euros
3: Gotcha. Yeah. So, if people wanted to find out more, the Waterstone Clinic would be a good place to start.
10: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We can help them explore their options.
3: What's the website?
10: Uh, waterstoneclinic.ie.
3: All right. Listen, Ursula, thank you very much for that. That's Ursula Lynch. she's is the donor sperm coordinator at the Waterstone Clinic in Cork, just in case you're thinking of becoming a mother off your own bat. Costs a few quid, but quite successful. And they've solved that problem that when little Johnny or Mary sits down at 18 and says, Okay, ma'am, I get it, right? That you decided to have me on your own. That's fine. But actually, you know, who is the other fella? Because I'm entitled, well, under law now, the child has an entitlement to know. on turning 18, an entitlement to find out whatever is on file with regard to the donor partner. Eighteen
6: fifty seven one five nine nine six. Can we just talk?
2: The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With dairy-made
0: premium spread 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream
3: Cork's 96FM If you are wondering are we going to be talking about the fishing protest this morning of the flotilla of fishing boats up the harbour. We will. We will. We're just waiting for an opportunity for Fiona to be free to speak with us. She's down there and it is spectacular. I've seen these before. They did one a number of years ago when a ridiculous quota rule was forcing them to throw perfectly good fish back into the sea for size reasons. And I remember they came up the river, up the harbour And it was spectacular, it was a beautiful sunny day when they did it, a bit like today and they came up into the harbour and they gave out on Patrick's Bridge they gave out tonnes of the most gorgeous fresh fish as a protest, because they said otherwise it goes back in the sea, we, we can't we can't sell it, so when they get together and they do this, it's, it's spectacular to watch, And uh, the Irish South and West Fish Producers Organisation are running this event today so we'll catch up with them at some point uh, in the morning, so worry not to do with that also we'll be taking some more uh, later on on Besbra, and again that is the big happening news story that you might have missed if you're just coming on scene now, where's your notes from your appearance and all that but anyway the plan to build apartments at Besborough on the former mother and baby home site has been rejected by on board Planola, this is for the 179 apartments that was being planned by MWB2, the developers uh, the Board Planola came down and said it is not satisfied that the site has not previously been used as and does not contain a children's burial ground. It has reasonable concerns in relation to the potential for a children's burial ground. That's a very, very stark finding and a very welcomed finding, very much welcomed finding by uh, on board Planola. We remind ourselves, of course, 859 children unaccounted for. 859 children unaccounted for at Bresborough, which is more children than Tuam. And we should never forget that. And remember when Tuam started, and I was talking here with um, Ali, the journalist who broke that story working with Catherine Corliss. They broke that story about two, seven 720-something. And I remember asking her at the time, I said, this is only the tip of the iceberg, isn't it? And of course it is, because there's 859 babies, little babies, tiny little babies, unaccounted for at Besborough. And the great Catherine Corliss, I must dig the clip out, I don't have it at hand right now, but this will go on for a while. The great Catherine Corliss said to me on the opinion line a little while back that... That is a crime scene and should be treated as such because to dispose of a human body without keeping record is a crime. It is a crime to take a human body and dispose of it without keeping a proper record. Of That is a crime. So we are looking at 859 crimes. So are they surely worthy of guard investigation? I wonder, I think I know a number of women who have gone to the guard's To report their child missing, to say, look, the child died, but I don't know where the child is buried, or I've no notion of where my child is, or my child is missing. The reports have been made to Gardi over the years. We'll follow up with this one because it's not going to be developed now. The report, I'm going to get the report on board Planola and just read carefully because on board Planola seems to be delivering a very strong message this morning, talking to Old English from the examiner who broke the story earlier this morning. On board, Planola is sending a very strong message when you read between the lines that further investigation is warranted here. Um, Bear says Besbra is a crime scene. Government should hold its head in shame. Give closure to all the families involved and especially to those little angels. Well, do you know there was a time, there was a time, when it was neither the done thing to discuss Bessborough, let alone what used to happen there. And it wasn't the done thing to discuss wrongdoing at Bessborough. It just wasn't the done thing. And a few people over the years put their head above the parapet. I was deeply privileged, and am deeply privileged, to call some of them friends. And they put their head above the parapet, and they said what went on down there is wrong, wrong, wrong. And now in 2021, we know, all of us, that went on down there is wrong and, and I'm just giving a purely personal view here I know it's supposed to be biased or unbiased, I can't be that finding from on board Planola this morning is almost a demand to look at it more that we need to look more 859 little babies that we cannot account for no paperwork exists. And to bur- to bury a human body without paperwork is a crime. Maybe it'll go somewhere now.
2: Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With
0: Dairymaid Premium Spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Oldies and Irish on Corks 96 FM is the Big Sunday Show on your radio. Big, big, big show, 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 radio. radio, radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Sunday
11: morning. Welcome along to the program. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning.
0: Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. 10am to 2pm. With Hidden Hearing. Tuning you in so you don't miss a thing. And we've been doing it for over 30 years. Hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96
3: FM. Roughly translating Frank's message into usable English, what he was saying was then rather than paying 800 bucks to a clinic for a sperm donation, there's a few fellas around town who might be willing to provide. He didn't use quite that sort of measured language, but you know yourself. Thank you, Frank. 1850 715 So, you're sitting there at night, right, you've got a couple of kids, the kids are in bed, they're finally gone to sleep, alright? Finally. And you're wrecked, right? You're knackered. So you've got a half a glass of wine in front of you, and you are falling asleep on the couch, you have your phone in your hand and you're watching a bit of TikTok and you go from one TikTok video to another TikTok video or else you might have something on the Netflix and you go, will I watch one more episode? Or instead of holding on to the latest episode of Mayor of Easttown until the weekend when you have more time, no, I'll just watch it now, I'll just watch it now. You know full well that at the end of it you'll be even more knackered but you're not going up to bed because this is my time. I'm chasing children all day, cooking and washing and cleaning and wiping arses and doing homework and changing shoes and washing clothes. This is for me, even if I will be wrecked in the morning. Do you know what they call it? I mean, they'll come up with a name for anything in 2021. They call it Revenge Bedtime Procrastination. I, what? Revenge Bedtime Procrastination. Catherine Hallisey, good morning to you.
11: Good morning, TJ. I love your introduction to that. <laughs> We've all done it. Exactly. What?
3: <laughs> Why do we do it, though?
11: You know, there are so many reasons for this. And like the most common one is exactly like you say, suddenly you sit down and you've got this time for yourself. And, you know, most of us feel this unwillingness to give up this time. And even though we know sleep would be so much better for us, even though we know tomorrow would be a whole lot easier if we got more sleep, mm. it's just so hard to make that transition to do the right thing.
3: Because the ultimate me time is the time you spent in the land of Nod, surely.
11: I know. And especially when you look at you know the research on what sleep actually does for us, like there isn't a single part of your body that doesn't benefit from sleep. And the opposite is also true. There isn't a single part of your body that isn't harmed by actually stealing your own sleep. And yes, we still do it. And it's for much the same reasons that we eat too much, eat too much sweet food, don't exercise enough, don't go outside in the fresh air enough. It's because we tend to take the path of least resistance when we're under stress.
3: And it, yeah, and also, is it because the things that we would normally do, like watch a, a new episode of our favorite show, you might. See-
0: it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com.
2: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over one million other businesses with stamps.com. Use code program for a special offer. That's stamps.com code program.
3: Sit down to do it at eight o'clock and then the seven-year-old realizes, ma'am, I need leaves for yeah. school. Oh good, when do you want them? Uh, tomorrow, ma'am. <laughs> so you're out the back in the mud looking for leaves. No, I don't want them when I want that one or or they run out of a copy of copy books or or ma'am ma'am there's a stain on me shirt and you end up washing the shirt at eight o'clock at night so then you go well I am going to watch me program now and blast and damn you that's where it comes from isn't it
11: and you know I really noticed this myself when my twins were born right you know so they were children number 4 and 5 and you know obviously my sleep was at such a premium then and yes, it was the only time I had to myself. It was the only time that I was Catherine. I wasn't mammy. I wasn't doing all the things. And, it, you know, even though at the time I knew that it wasn't the right thing to do. So, yeah, I just see it as a stressed response. And also, like our current habits are perfectly designed for the situation we have right now. So this is really about habits. And once you get into the habit of staying up late, it just becomes your norm then. Mm. So you might say in the morning, "Okay, that's it tonight. Nice. I'm going to bed early." But unless you set yourself up to actually achieve that, you're just going to do the exact same thing again because we're creatures of habit.
3: And moreover, when you know that if you have toddlers or whatever, particularly toddlers, like I mean, first light this morning was shortly after five o'clock. Yeah, do you know they're in. <laughs> yeah.
11: You know, and I suppose it's the competing demands that we all face as well. And I think this has also greatly increased in the last year because with people working from home, we've had this erosion of the distinction between work life and home life. And what happens is people end up working really, really late. Oh, I'm just going to check an email. I'm just going to respond to this. I'm just going to do this because I'll have a better day tomorrow. And then our free time is getting eroded more and more and more. Yeah. And, and then we don't have, I suppose, the... Um, we've nothing left in the tank to do the things that are actually good for us then, like to actually go out and exercise or even to call a friend.
3: Yeah. In terms of the, the whole working from home thing and how it has changed everything, tie that in with this when you're working at home. Like the day, in a way, Catherine, is even busier than it was before, because you don't even have a 40-minute commute, even if it is sitting in the car, cursing at the traffic. You know, you're away from stuff. You don't did even we, have that.
11: Did we ever think we would miss a commute? <laughs> you know, because I, I would listen to audiobooks in the car, and by the time I would be home, I would be after leaving work behind. Yeah. Whereas now, I just close my door, and I'm out into the kitchen. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'm always popping in and out to do things, you know. So we have these erosions of boundaries. And in much the same way, we have the erosion of boundary at nighttime that, you know, let's say when the sun went down many eons ago, people started winding down for bed. Yes. Whereas now we're ramping up for leisure time.
3: Yes. It's it's like it doesn't, and it's not dark these nights until what, half nine, 20 to 10. So then yeah. you start a whole new chapter of easing down When in actual fact, what you should be doing is go to bed. No, I I must admit, and my children are well past that's it, I'm the world's worst, Catherine.
11: Yeah, because those habits were laid down. And unless you're really, really intentional about new habits, you'll just continue that. Because also our willpower is lowest at the end of the day as well. We've used up all our willpower. We have a certain well of willpower. Mm. And each decision we make throughout the day, it dips lower and lower and lower. And as we get tired, that's when we make our poorest decisions. Gotcha. Yes, yes. So, so that's why it's habits rather than willpower. This is not about willpower. The thing that will help you change this is actually your habits and how you set up your environment.
3: Lastly, and I suppose on your own particular area of expertise, uh, does us do it? we know that if we behave like this, we're not being the best for ourselves and for our health. Are we doing anything you know, are, are we in danger of damaging a relationship with our children, or can we not be the best for our children if we do this?
11: You know, there is many factors to this. First of all, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about our children's screen time and not half enough talking about our own. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the most important thing. When parents come to me asking for help with our kids' screen time, my first step in the action plan I do with them is actually about their own. Thinking about how you use screens, I think screens are amazing. Just use them intentionally. Yeah, you know, and so and then model that for your children. And both what I do see a lot is, um, you know, this distracted parenting where we're physically present, but we're checking phones. The ding is coming in. Yeah, oh, I wonder who that is, and our attention goes. And um, there's lots of emerging research on that now that shows that it is very detrimental to the parent-child relationship. Mm. And, you know, I suppose it's important to say that there's seasons in your life as a parent too. There are times when you've just got nothing left and you need something easy to do. Mm -hmm. So it's when it lasts forever, that's when it's a problem. You know, you can have an acute stressful period where you might do some of these things and it's not going to cause lasting damage. It's when we are in this prolonged period of stress like we're in now. And these patterns are getting laid down into habits. And so, like, for anyone listening who's thinking, that's me, that's me, and they're wondering what to do, just think what is something that you could like, what would make your room nicer? Is it to clear some clutter? Is it to get new sheets that your, your bedroom feels really inviting? Using, you know, I like to use pillow sprays. And think, and I have nothing in the room, just a clock, not even a digital one, mm. and a book. And these are just habits that I've had to put in place myself to manage this. And the phone creeps back in from time to time, and then I have to come back to, no, I don't want the phone in the room. Mm. I'll have my Kindle instead. And just thinking about what's one habit you can change from today.
12: Okay. It's
11: right. just one thing and it's not about demonising, it's not about feeling guilty because when you feel guilty you actually are more likely to do the thing mm. that you don't want to do. If this is about just doing, taking one action if you're listening now. How can you improve your own habits in the evening?
3: All right. Catherine, as always, a pleasure to speak with you. I, I, I have to say this before I let you go. You know, only in 2021 would we take a habit that every parent has and every parent has done and give it a name.
11: Oh, that isn't unbelievable, you know. <laughs>
3: Revenge bedtime procrastination. Like, and this, someone something got paid. That was
11: there forever. Someone got paid to make that up. Oh, when I saw the name, I just you know had a little eye roll at that. And but what it does do is look at least it's bringing up a conversation, and um, that this is something that you probably don't like in yourself, and how can you change it? And moving out of this powerlessness into thinking what small one small thing I can do all to right.
3: improve things alright Catherine. always a pleasure to speak with you on the opinion line on Cork's 96 I'm child psychologist Catherine I, I, it's just the way they will come up with a name for something we've all done it we're all still doing it it's got a name now revenge bedtime procrastination now watch soon there'll be a therapy RBT R-B-P-T Revenge Bedtime Procrastination Therapy There'll be support groups for people who stay up late watching another episode of Box sets instead of going to bed It's fun though 1850 715 996 Let us go to our beautiful harbour Stasio Bene Fidi Carinus as they say because we have some traffic up the harbour this morning fishing trawlers it's always Apart from Mount Nels, it's always lovely to watch them coming up, uh, except in the w- winter when they're sheltering from the weather. But they're here today for a specific reason, and our Fiona Corcoran is with them. Fiona, good morning. Good morning, PJ. So what's all this about?
1: Okay, so there's a large flotilla of fifty trawlers and um, fishing vessels that have made their way from Roaches Point to here at Horgan's Key at the port of Cork this morning. They left at seven o'clock and they arrived in here just before ten o'clock. And there's still some arriving in. And, um, it's a ve- it's a remarkable sight to see so many trawlers um, all. Um, parked up along the port of Cork there and loads of people along the quays here as well in support of them and they're asking for um, changes to the EU, or to the, to the fishing industry, the policies that have been introduced by Europe, mainly quotas Peter, um, there's only the Irish fishermen are only allowed 15% of um, the fish that come out of Irish water they say that this in particular is making life extremely difficult for them and um, it's it's very difficult for them to make a living. They also say that um, the Brexit TCA agreement between EU and UK was unfair and unjust and there's also penalty points um, for fisheries offences and they feel that these should only be applied to license holders and skippers following a court conviction and there's a number of issues that um, they have uh, written out in a letter that will be submitted to Micheál Martin at his office at um, on Evergreen Road later this morning. Um, but the crux of it really is that it's become extremely difficult to earn a living out of the fishing industry, and there's fears that um, there will be up to 4,000 jobs lost in the sector if changes are not brought about soon wow. by the Irish government. Yeah, four thousand uh, jobs. Four thousand. Um, yeah, in the catching sector and at the processing. sector Sector. And is this uh, because, because of
3: changes as a result of Brexit and changes in EU rules combining? Yes.
1: Yes, it is, yeah. Um, and I suppose, like the last year in particular, has been very tough for them. And I was speaking to one fisherman who kind of said to me that a lot of people here are doing this job and they've been doing it, you know, it could be in the family, they might have been doing it since they were teenagers or in their early 20s, and they don't know any different. And now all of a sudden they're being asked to follow all of these different policies. There's a lot of administrative work, and he said that it's taken away from what they actually love doing. And, you know, he was saying to me as well that um, when they're out at sea, they have to take into consideration the conditions at sea. They may not be able to get back at a particular time, but there's all this red tape now that they have to follow and um, work through during the day and it's making the, the... the career the industry very difficult for them and you've, been, speak- and, you've um, been
3: speaking to a number of them down there this morning
1: I have so I've been speaking to um, Scott Farrell he's a fisherman who he's from Dingle but he fishes off the coast of Ballycotton and I was also speaking to Dina Busher whose uh, trawler sank off the coast of Castle Down Bear just two months ago and she was outlining was the how it's going it? to be yes that's it PJ yes yeah. so I was speaking to her there on the shore here as well this morning
13: okay I am fishing since I was 16, so 17 years. It's always difficult trying to navigate quotas, hours of rest, where we can be, where we can't be. Are we going to have people waiting for us on the pier when we get in to check that everything is our paperwork in order? It's not just the case of go out and catch fish anymore. It's as much paperwork as it is trying to catch i think to do the job you have to be have to love it it's not just a job you go out and do for a good wage anymore red tape we can do this we can't do that we have to have this amount of hours of rest and you know a lot of these things are all practical ashore but when you're out in the middle of bad weather outside some of these things just aren't practical you know i think what all fishermen want is just politicians that will actually go to europe and argue for us instead of just taking the laws that Europe set out and saying okay, that's what we'll do. You know, it's a lot of other industries the government will actually go and fight for And but I think a lot of fishermen feel we don't have that in this
14: industry. Yeah. What's your own name? Dina. 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 Uh, what's your surname? Busher, B-U-S-H-E-R. Have you a
1: fisher person or what? Um,
14: I had a fishing trawler, the MFE Eliav. Um, she sank Uh, two months ago um, only two miles from shore so it was a huge loss for uh, our family Um, and the way things are now in the industry I I, I can't see us being able to buy or build another boat again and it's a great passion of mine, the fishing industry and I'd love to be able to go back into it Um, but it's near impossible at the moment, we we need more quotas and you know we're just, we're constantly targeted by the authorities and it needs to stop. We want him to revisit the common fisheries policy and to renegotiate our quotas Um, the trawlers they're finding it difficult to hold on to crew at the moment so we were hoping that they could help with that and to look at the atypical working scheme again and um yeah just the whole industry has to be re-looked at like so well I I have a good education I I have a master's degree in translation and I did work experience in Brussels and I know I have that behind me but no my heart isn't in that my heart is in fishing and that's what I want to do yeah it is frustrating especially when we see how well other trawlers in other countries are doing you know that they just, they can land whatever they like and we're left to struggle and
3: That's sad, you can hear the the sadness in her voice Fiona, can't you?
1: Yes PJ and um, you know she's uh a young woman and as she said you know she's highly educated she could go on and do other things with her life but she doesn't want to and that's the kind of message from the fishermen and women here today and indeed like you and me have both spoken to people who are employed in this sector over the years and it's a real passion and love for the job Mm -hmm. and it's in the blood in a lot of cases and they don't want to go and do something else similar to farmers when they were having their protest as well they you know they don't want to have to go and do something else but it's just at the minute it's so difficult for them to make a living and i was speaking to the partner of a fisherman here, and she had driven all the way up from Castletown Bear with her two little babies this morning, and she was saying that, you know, they want um, a future for the children. They'd yeah. love for them to be able to follow in daddy's footsteps. That's right, because they want the,
3: they want they're, they're born and they hope that they'll go to sea mm-hmm. and carry on the fishing into the next generation. Fiona, I know that they have a, a letter of protest being handed into the Taoiseach's office there in Turners Cross, and all that. <laughs> a call to say I miss them coming up. Where can I see the flotilla going out? When?
1: Okay. Um, well, they're still here. They're at the Port of Cork at the minute. Um, they're, they're all moored up here, and they'll be here for several hours. I think they're inviting the public to come along at around midday to come and have a look and, and, and chat to them and ask them okay. questions. So um, I think there's 15 of them marching up to the Shock's office, but they'll be here for a good few hours yet, okay. I'd say. And right. So if you've missed them, just come on down to the Port of Cork if you can, all right. and you'll be able to have a look at them.
3: All right, Fiona, thanks very much for that. And, uh, and their industry is being battered under the impact of Brexit and the impact of European rules and they're saying, listen, our counterparts elsewhere in Europe are not under half the pressure we're under. So, thank you for that, Fiona. Eighteen fifty-seven one five nine nine six. Let us get back to Besborough um, because there were a couple of people I thought of first thing this morning when the news broke uh, that the planning permission had been rejected for the 179... Apartments, and one of them was uh, Carmel Cantwell. Hi, Carmel.
15: Good morning, PJ. I,
3: I don't think I could put words on how you must be feeling.
15: Oh, I'm elated, I really am. I'm so thrilled. I'm so thrilled that campaigners and advocates would listen to and that the, it, really the children would listen to. Yeah. Um, that for once, for once, someone is putting them first.
3: Where you are right now, you're. I think you're laying flowers, are you?
15: I'm sitting right opposite the folly in contemplation at this beautiful area. I'm listening to the birds singing. And I'm just delighted that a big tower block isn't going to be going up overlooking this area.
3: You texted us earlier on and you, you said that William guided you.
15: Yeah, I, I feel that ever uh, I mean, look, I'm a London girl. I don't know how I ended up marrying a court man and ended up moving just around the corner from Besborough. Uh, I had, uh, had absolutely no idea um, that I had a, a brother born in Bessborough. So, I don't know, there's just been loads of coincidences yeah. along the way.
3: You and I have spoken many times about the oh. 857 babies for whom there are no records. For a long time, you had no idea where William was. You now know where he is. But there's 850-something more. We don't know where they are. We need to well, go further than this, don't we, Carmel?
15: I really believe that we owe it to the children to find out their story, you know what happened to them in their life and what happened to them in death, and ultimately where they're buried. Uh, I, uh, you know, it, I, I don't think that we can just end it here. The commission, um, commission's re- report didn't um, deliver, and uh, really, were none the wiser.
3: Yeah, the the as I've been reading what I can glean from the board planola uh finding this morning the 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 board is kind of hinting as well that an investigation is needed before anything else happens here
15: yes um well certainly in terms of uh, before any building goes up i mean i would like to go one step further and just say right now a blanket ban on any building yeah. in this area uh, in a, make it a memorial park in memory of the children that died, and remember, there's 19 unaccounted women as well, and also all those women and children um, that went through Besborough. You know, that come back every year now for the last six years where we've had our gathering. They come back. They come from all over the world now to, to come to the commemoration.
3: You're actually sitting in that very spot where we have the commemoration. Unfortunately, it probably won't be able to do it again this year because of COVID. But. Yeah. But looking around it now and thinking of those afternoons, many of them warm, sunny June afternoons that we've had, can you get inside the heads of the people who would stand there how much this decision would mean to them, Carmel?
15: Oh, look, it's it's just huge. I I find it really even hard to put it into words. We're talking about little babies here, babies that didn't reach their first birthday, Um, children that needn't have died. You know they, they they were neglected for so long. Uh, it being so much that now they're being thought of. Yes,
3: and that fo- that folly and that lovely, beautiful little patch where you're sitting right now, listening to the birds sing, and I've I've done it many times. That's their grave.
15: Yes, I think all around. No one, no one knows. No, the 859 are unaccounted for. There's no documentation to say where they're buried. We know we have first-hand witnesses that can tell us some of the stories um, that children were buried on the grounds. Um, some believe that there is one big mass grave here. I actually think the children could be anywhere. Yeah. Um, you know. And I remember hearing on your show a man telling a story of a baby that was put in a coffin of someone else and taken off That's the right. grounds. And that was in 1985, I believe.
3: That's
15: right. So, you know, there's all different scenarios. Yeah. Um,
3: so many questions still to be answered Carmel, this is a very very happy day for campaigners like yourself and and, uh, delighted that you could speak with us, joining us from and it's such a poignant, thank you Carmel Carmel Cantrell, such a poignant moment she's joining us from the folly, from the garden near the folly which is where the commemoration is generally held in June usually held on a warm sunny afternoon and she's there contemplating the decision announced this morning And I don't mind sharing with you, my own heart is bursting with joy at that decision.
2: Can we just talk? The opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. With Dairy Made
0: Premium Spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork Cream.
2: The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call
0: 1850-715-996.
2: Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696.
0: Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
2: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
0: On Cork's 96FM.
3: You know, there's a change I never saw sort of sneaking in the side door or the back door or in the attic hatch. Uh, we don't have fishermen anymore. Uh, we don't have fisher women, and we have fishers. Now I don't know where that came from. Presumably it's just a gender-neutral term and all of that. But I didn't. I didn't, never saw it sneaking in the side door. It's a, new one, a new one on me from today. Eighteen fifty-seven one five nine nine six. Also, a lot of people tweeting about the two guards shot in Dublin last night thankfully and mercifully both of them will make a full recovery Uh, they were shot one was shot in the hand and the foot the other was shot in the foot by this thug who apparently is well known to the cops and a gangland figure shall we say he opened fire on two of them Blanchardstown he was arrested after eventually surrendering. Taoiseach issued a statement saying he was shocked and deeply concerned to learn that uh, two Garthi were injured in the course of their duties, wishing them both a speedy recovery and thanks them for their service on behalf of the public and indeed so say all of us. Uh, they are okay. Um, just It's a Dublin incident and it's, if I guess it could happen, it could be happening in Ballancolig tomorrow and I guess it highlights the danger the danger that our guardy put themselves into every night and every day that they go out to work for us and to police our country and mind us. Uh, which I suppose when you think back, and I know I haven't mentioned it in a, in a week or two or three probably, how I think pissed off a lot of Gardaí families were when they were one group on front on the front line who weren't set aside for vaccination. I, look, it's it's done and dusted now because the vaccine program is working down through the age groups, and I know a lot of guards are being called, uh, particularly guards in their forties now and their fifties. They're all being called. The younger ones will be waiting a little while longer. That's un, that's unfortunate, but you know, um, it just I think it just brings everything into context. It's a dangerous job on any level, apart from the fact we don't pay them half enough anyway. 185715996 now if you ever wondered how the nhs is funded so if you go like trisha mentioned earlier on this morning that the pcr test you get from the nhs is free or the antigen tests that you get from the nhs are free if you have an NHS number or a GP visit, is free if you have an NHS number. And you can get some dentistry done under the NHS. And I remember going to a hospital in the UK, had to get something seen to actually see it, their, their equivalent of South Doc. And that was free for me because it's the NHS. How is it funded? It's funded by a bit like your PRSI. They have a national insurance. And it's just one of the ways... That it's funded. It's funded from general taxation quite a lot, but it's funded from national insurance. Everybody who's working pays a national insurance uh, amount, a percentage. So, for example, if you earn less than about ten grand a year, you don't pay any. And then, if you earn more, it's twelve percent of your wages between ten and fifty grand. Twelve percent. That's a that's a that's a whack. Twelve percent of your wages between ten and fifty thousand. And then, if you go over fifty thousand, it's two percent on any earnings above that. But basically, it comes out of your wages, like your P.R.S.I. at source, and it's funding directly into the N.H.S. Which is a great way of doing things. Certainly, a lot better than having to fork out a hundred quid to go to A and E or fork out sixty quid to go to the doctor. It's an awful lot better than that. Anyway, 1850 Now, we all talk about getting ourselves into rabbit holes on social media. And sometimes when you get into a rabbit hole, it's fun. Sometimes when you get into a rabbit hole, it's not that much fun. And sometimes it ends up on the radio. Mary Jane, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Great. Now, I thought it was quite an innocuous question... I responded, Well, if you can't be, you possibly shouldn't have been with them in the first place. Your question was, can you be friends with an ex? How did it how did it come to be asked in the first place?
11: Right.
16: So obviously with the way that lockdown has been and we're not getting the girly brunch or the girly glass of wine, we have group chats. So in the group chat there is a mixture of us. Some of us are married, some are single There's a couple of um, girls that are on Tinder in it. Hmm. And we all kind of, you know, we chat about just our day-to-day lives, you know. Cat had kittens, that kind of thing. And literally one of the cats, one of the girls' cats had kittens um, last week. But we talk about just general stuff. um, And I'm in a few different ones. But this one was like, you know... I broke up with this guy, you know, they had a kind of a bit of a tempestuous break up at the time, but now time has passed and I think personally you can be friends with an ex, but everyone else in the group chat was like, no, ho girl, not a chance. Why? So I I think like a lot of them a lot of the points. So when I put it up on Twitter, uh so that so that I'm not giving away anyone's identity, right? Like I had I don't know, a couple of hundred replies. And they all varied from you can if you have children and you have to keep it civil to I never want to see that bleep, 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 bleep Mm -hmm. ever again in my life. So I think it depends on, you know, the circumstances, like why did you break up, um, whether you have children or whether there's anything kind of tethering you together. So if you have mutual friends and that kind of thing, it can be difficult because. Very often, and I know this myself. You know, when couples break up, you really have to kind of pick a side.
3: You see, I don't agree. Do you not think? No, I don't. You see, if you're if you're genuine, if you're friends with a couple, then you're friends with both of them. And if yeah. they break up, it's wrong to change to to, to take sides.
12: Yeah. Okay, okay. Unless
3: one is egregiously bad to the other person, and it's very nasty, then you find yourself with it with a bit of a dilemma. In which case, what I would do is back away from them both for a while.
16: Yeah. Like, like I suppose, from my perspective, wh- when I look at it, you know, um, usually it's it, it will be the female person that I will be more friendly with. Now, having said that, like I think, like you know. Women have a, a different kind of friendship to men. Would you agree with that? Oh, I would. Yeah, yeah. Women have a different kind of friendship.
3: You hurt so a I, woman, you hurt all of them.
16: Yeah. Oh, listen, and the group <laughs> chat goes mad, and the, the the screenshot from 2016 is brought into the equation when he said this. You know, when you asked him, "Did your bum look big?" Do you remember he told you that the heels on oh, those, those shoes are everything? Razz- yeah. Everything. Yeah. Everything. It's like a. I, Incredulous. I am guilty of that, PJ. My mind is like a Rolodex. A Rolodex. But, you know, I'm quite centred in general. But so the the conversation came up and loads, so there was loads of interaction about it on the social media rabbit hole, as you call it. And there was like loads of people who were saying, you know, that they're civil or that it takes time to be friends with them. And I would agree. Like, I I, I don't have a a load of ex-boyfriends or anything like that. But well, I'd be on civil terms with all of them, really. You know, I, d- I don't see any reason why you wouldn't be. I think, personally myself, and I think a lot of people would agree with this. Social media makes it more difficult because mm. you have the people that have a new, like I'd be skidding sometimes. Like you know, they have a new boyfriend every six months, and they're the love of their life, and they're uploading photographs. And then there's the an next fella, and the an next fella, and the next fella. So it becomes very, I suppose. Hard to kind of be like, oh, I'd say, you know, what people watching. So like your ex watching you, and you watching your ex, and all that kind of stuff. I think social media has made it very hard to that you don't cross paths with them in some way, shape, or form.
3: Impossible, really. I mean, yeah. if you if you break up with someone, you've got to block them off all your platforms. You got oh, stop. I, can, yeah. I to be honest with you, I'm so glad I'm not trying to date in the social media world. I really am, like...
17: Because,
16: listen, and I, like, I'm going to sound like a stalker now, but I, I, I'd I have friends that would be kind of, you know, on Tinder and stuff and whatever, and they'd say to me, oh, this is this guy's name. And I, like, within 20 minutes, I'll have his mums. um...
3: Oh, God, you're like <laughs> the guy in you. <laughs>
16: No, <laughs> it's just people put so much information I know, some, I know. Like Ronan was talking from Smart Tech about that earlier, you know, about how easy things are to uh, to access and stuff. But yeah, so like one of the things, one of the things I thought was funny and someone direct messaged me this, they didn't put it off on the platform. They said, well, wait for this, Glamity, until you hear this, right? They were like, um, "I I've been tagged in numerous tweets with my ex, but you know, from people that, you know the way Twitter is very transient and there's lots of people you don't know on it. Um, Like there's, there's I don't know 12,500 people. So basically what happened, right, is that he was tagged in a funny meme, you know, one of these funny things about mm. ex-girlfriends, mm. but his ex was also tagged in it. But obviously the person that tagged them both didn't know that they were, you know, it was just a kind of a random follower. Oh. So that was really awkward.
3: Oh, Oh God, there would be group chat, yeah. group chats would be set up just to counsel both sides there.
16: Oh my God, I actually got a pain in my stomach when I read it. So the long and the short of it is that <laughs> what people are saying is that, yes if you have children, you need to be civil and you can have a friendship. Then there was people that were saying, and these were generally older people that were saying um, that they were great friends with their ex-husband, that they'd go for a coffee with yes. them or whatever, you know, yes. they had adult children and Everything was great. and everything we all, was very We've amazing.
3: all come across the divorced couple and we thought, like, we, six guns at dawn when, when the divorce was happening. But yeah. five years later, you wonder, why did you two ever divorce at all?
16: Yeah. Oh, totally. And that's, that's it. And, you know, you see, like, I think it's great to see and I think it's very heartening. But I was laughing there because I just bumped into a friend of mine and I said to him, I said, I'm just going on the radio. I can't stop for long. But I said, "Do you think you?" And he said, "Absolutely, under no circumstances." So, it, it, it's it's a very divisive subject. Like people are like, "I think I think you can be," and then loads of men were saying on the thread that um, that if if a man is friends with an ex, it's only because he thinks that he, will you know, get back, get the hokey-cokey, like
3: because yeah. I was just. <laughs>
16: <That's> <laughs>
3: I know, but you put your, anyway, uh, no, um, (laughs) you prone me now. No, what I was going to say was I would have thought that men would be different here, that they would say, yeah, of course you can. And the women will be the opposite. Do you know what we're going to do? We'll we'll throw it it out and see what the listeners think. Mary Jane, thank you, as always, the Clamity Jane on Twitter. Jackie says, PJ, my marriage broke up years ago quite acrimoniously. Now we're friends. We did it at the start for the sake of the children, but now we've grandchildren and we get on just fine. I agree with MJ. It is too hard to stay friends with both when a relationship, someone else's relationship breaks up. So I would do with the the backing away and you see the follow on to that then is they'll come looking for you you can rekindle both friendships separately just don't get drawn into the mediator thing so let us have a let us have a look at that one uh, we had a morning of very serious news and on many levels let's have a bit of fun with that like can you be friends with an ex are you friends with an ex could you not tolerate them being on the same planet as you ever again? And I'm not talking about where it all went very nasty, okay? So let's let us park that. If it was all very nasty and, and very personal and horrible things happened, forget that. Put that one out of the bar. If you just broke up, can you still be friends with your ex? 1850-715-996. The opinion
2: line on Cork's 96 FM
0: with Dairy Made Premium Spread 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream.
5: 9 a.m. on
0: Cork's 96
5: FM Prince Harry has admitted that he's bonded with Orlando Bloom because of the paparazzi it's a very strange thing to bond over like and uh, I assume every single celebrity has the same thing in common do people take photographs of you when
7: you're walking with an ice cream <laughs> yeah they do <laughs> do they like you as well they do but yeah uh, do you not like it I don't like it at all sometimes I do like it when I've got a book to sell <laughs> yeah, yeah me yeah, too yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning with
0: No DCR's Blackpool for Skoda in the city, a long-standing tradition in Cork. Open 24-7 at mildeasy.com.
3: Cork's 96FL. Owen says you sure can be friends with the next. I'm great friends with mine. It works out sometimes. I do the different sexes look at it differently. Like, I would think that men would be much more easygoing, but then the Mary Jane's Twitter said differently. Anyway, your thoughts eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. Two other matters though. Uh, and uh, Diane Higgins joins me. Diane, good morning.
17: Hi, good morning PJ, how are you? Thanks A for having me. Great article. On. Tell me
3: about Sarah and what is Muenke syndrome.
17: Um so Munka syndrome Muenke. um Muenke. <laughs> um so um basically um Sarah was born so um it's a genetic um, disorder, the FGFR3 gene. Um, so it is hereditary, but in our case, um, it's spontaneous with Sarah. So Sarah would be the first in the line, um, right. really, with us um, to have it. So what it means is that her skull fused prematurely in the womb. So before she was born, um, you know the way babies have a kind of soft spot. Yes. Um, so Sarah would have been born without a soft spot. and The, f- font- the fontanelle, so, they
3: call it. Yeah.
17: Yes. Mm. Yeah. So, um, and you know, the way in the skull, there's kind of plates like the plates of the earth. So those would have been fused up as well. Um, whereas normally when a baby is born, um, those are, those aren't fused and then they fuse over time. So Sarah's would have been born fused, which meant then that her, her head shape would have been, um, deformed, but also, um, that her head wouldn't have been able to kind of grow properly, which yeah. would mean then that there's not enough space for the brain, essentially. Because as um, the
2: baby grows,
3: the head grows, and exactly, over and yes. it, can, it takes several years, but eventually all of our skulls fuse when our brain is fully grown.
17: Yes, yes. So um, craniosynostosis is the name of the fusion of the skull. Um, so Monka syndrome is the name of the kind of umbrella kind of disorder. Um, craniosynostosis um, is... Um, uh, I wouldn't say, it's it's it's, a, it's also another rare condition. Um, right. So that's Goodness. kind of the resulting condition that Sarah had then. Um, so, you know... Um, so that there's, can there's cause all
3: of, sorts of problems, can it? It can,
17: yeah. It can, yeah. It can cause... Um, so for Sarah, was, thankfully, Sarah is doing really, really well at good, the moment. Good, um, good, good. So, like, obviously, when she was born, we had a lot of worries about all different things and, you know, long-term... Um, we still have we still have worries, but like um, you know, even in terms of the the eyes, where the eyes are set, you know, there can be vision problems, there can be hearing problems, um, there can be developmental delay, obviously because the brain may not have enough room to grow. So we're always kind of um, checking to see if she has enough space in the brain. So Sarah would have got um, her first kind of major surgery um, when she was six months old. So in Temple Street, um, they did a there's a fantastic um, team up there, um, the craniofacial team, they're called. Um, and they're absolutely fantastic. Um, So they did, um, it would have been um, an open skull surgery. So that was, she was six months old, so that was in 2019. So she would have got the first one. So it would have been kind of a necessary surgery just to make more space in her skull. Um, So what they would have done um, in that would have been, they would have opened the back of the skull um, and they inserted metal plates then with what's called distractors, they're called. Um, So those are kind of metal bars. Um, So those metal bars then would have protruded through her forehead um, and the idea then was that we twisted these so we brought Sarah home then for a few weeks and every day then we twisted twice a day, we twisted the bars (sighs) a half a millimetre which then expanded that little space between the front of the skull and the back of the skull. There's a a a
3: photograph on your Facebook of her with these two little things, was that painful for her?
17: Um, so n- she didn't find much discomfort when we were twisting the bars. It was really changing the bandages that she found the most <laughs> discomfort with. Um, so you know there wasn't that much discomfort with that. Now it was a fairly major operation, obviously. Yes. Um But you know, in terms of twisting the bars, she didn't. We we actually were kind of dreading it. But when we brought her home and did it, you know, the team in Temple Street were brilliant, mm. um, and they really showed us, you know, how to how to do it properly. It's phenomenal you know, they what the they can do. Do you? Unbelievable, yeah, it's unbelievable what they can do. Um,
3: they basically just, made, made for her, for your little darling. They basically made an adjustable skull.
17: Exactly, yeah. That's and what actually, they did. Well, if you see, well, we used to have to get an X-ray once a week when when we were doing the process, and you can see the X-ray. Uh, you can see the bars inside in the skull, and you can actually see the skull expanding, which is amazing. Um, and so they essentially grew a new bone. So, like when you break your leg. Um, you know or whatever the the bone kind of grows heals itself so Mm -hmm. as because that's why they would do it gradually so that every day we were doing one millimeter and then the bone was kind of regrowing so by the end even though there was a gap that gap will would have filled itself so new bone would have grown and so there's no longer a gap it would be bone at this stage you know and and how Um, long
3: were those things in then?
17: So they were in probably five or six weeks in total um so every week then we were going up to temple street each tuesday for the for the course of a few weeks to get an x-ray to see how it was going um and then at one stage um there was actually a um a little hole in the sac that surrounds her brain, so we had a leak of c s f which is brain fluid okay. um so we had to rush up at one stage just to get that checked. but thankfully that was all okay um which was which was great. God, and so, I and mean, you're kind of scary. thrown into all these things. It was scary, but and obviously, Temple Street is a long trip up when you're kind of in an emergency situation. Yeah. Um, but the team up there are so good, and they really reassured us. And you know, everything, everything thankfully for us, has worked out great, and Sarah's yeah. doing really well.
3: Yeah but she has more surgeries to come I think does she?
17: She does, she does yeah so we were actually anticipating that she would have one this year but I was actually up with her last week in Temple Street um, and they told us to come back in 12 months which is great news Um, so she's doing so well Um, so it's very difficult I suppose for them to choose the right kind of time to do the surgeries um, because you don't want to do it too soon and you don't want to do it too late obviously so you don't want to wait for a problem but at the same time when they're doing well um, you kind of need to just give it a chance and so that hopefully, if, you know, if things will kind of progress, normally that you have less of a, a yeah. chance then of repeating the surgery, so she will need probably about four in total, Right. Um, so she has the first kind of major one done and then depending on how it goes, so it'll, pro- it'll probably be approximately four, but you know give or mm. take then and okay. obviously there's cosmetic ones then that she can do as, if she chooses when sure. she's an adult or whatever, and, whatever. And
3: how, how is her development?
17: Her development is perfect, and um, so that Brilliant. would have been a big worry for us when we were, when she was born, um, because you don't know until, with developmental stuff, you don't know until, until a child misses a milestone or, you know, doesn't, doesn't develop properly. So there's no way of kind of telling, um, essentially. But luckily for us, um, Sarah's doing perfectly, you That's know, um, we don't, day to day, we don't have any major kind of extra needs or extra care or anything like that, um, and developmentally, like, this girl would buy and sell you like she's yeah. she's brilliant. Um. So yeah. So it's it's I, all going really well for us. Fantastic yeah, at the moment. Like
3: so many parents who who have been helped by those wonderful wonderful people at Temple Street. You do a lot of fundraising for them.
17: Yeah. Well. Um. So we did the we did a cake sale last week. Um. In the Marina Market. The people down in the Marina Market were fantastic, and they gave us um a, a spot to set up and. And to be honest, which it was a bit last minute for me because I didn't actually know that it was happening. And I just saw it on Temple Street. I saw it on social media on Temple Street. And um, so this was for Temple, both Temple Street and Crumlin. Now, Sarah has attended Crumlin as well. Temple Street would be her main kind of hospital that she attends, but she has been to Crumlin, CUMH, as well as local services. So when I saw that they were doing it, I was actually quite busy myself last week, but I just decided, look, I can't pass up the opportunity, I suppose, to fundraise for them because. It's, they're so brilliant, like they're so amazing um, and obviously not just for us but for many, many, many families around the country. Mm. Um, so when I saw that they were doing it, I said, look, I'm just going to do it. So I floated the idea, um, just I kind of said, look, if I make 50 euro or if I make 100 euro, look, it all goes, you know, it all goes, it all goes to the charity and it's all good. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, it was Sunday evening and... Um, I'm a member of Network Cork, so I put it up on the group to say, "Look, where would they think, you know, that um, I could maybe set up a stall or whatever?" And of course, everybody rolled up their sleeves and helped and baked, and you know, people volunteered to come and help on the day. And Mm. the Marina Market gave us a stall. I'm also on the parents association in my daughter's school as well and again you know people were just it was amazing to see people kind of coming out of the woodwork to help us
12: yeah
17: um people were donating on facebook and um, loads of people came in on the day to support us And um, you know there was kind of total strangers who i had never even met before who came yeah. in and volunteered people who were baking who i'd never even seen you know friends of friends that were kind of sitting in piles of cakes and stuff so it was amazing to see you know such great kind of community spirit and you know people kind of really getting getting involved to kind of help, help and, the cause, and how know? did
3: the fundraising go
17: so so far no um I, I was going to close it over the weekend but there has been still donations coming in so I've kept it open for the moment um so we're over 6,000 at the Why? moment. Oh
3: And you thought you might make 50 quid. <laughs> I did,
17: <yeah. laughs> I did. <laughs> um, But, you know, it's amazing when you just see, like there was people, friends of mine from all over the world were Fantastic. donating to the Facebook, um, you know, like people really, really came out of the woodwork just to help us and to kind of um, support the cause, which is, yes. it's amazing because I think when you're doing stuff like this, you really kind of start to see the good in people and I know you see the good in people anyway and people have been so kind to us that it's great to be able to give that back now to yeah. Temple Street and, you know, to for the for the cause that's in it.
3: There are many hospitals in the country, as we all know, and Tempest, but Temple Street and Crumlin, wh- when they come into your life, they're hospitals you never want in your life. You never want your child to be sick. But no. when when they do come into your life, you realise that some of the greatest and finest people in the world are working there and we're, we're privileged to have them. Diane, best, best to Sarah and best to you and best to the family and best to the team in Temple Street. Thank you for that and here's hoping that it all goes well in the future. That's Diane Higgins and you'll find her and all the stories of young Sarah are on Diane Higgins Design, which you'll find on Facebook, 1850 The team there are amazing. My son had craniosynostosis as well, diagnosed at nine months, had surgery in 2017. He's doing great. Best of luck to Diane and Sarah on the rest of their journey. That's from Jessica in Cove. On the exes, Barry says, I think the question would be, would your current partner allow you to be friends with your ex? I think not. It's a valid point. Uh, Those calls are still out there These are coming from 083 Uh, This um, caller gave us the number 083 3491963 083 3491963 And this is one of these spam calls that's going around at the moment and it tells you, among other things that there's an international warrant out for your arrest. It's a scam. It's nonsense. It's BS. But they're out there. Some people are getting three, four, and five of them a day. The only advice you can give is hang up, first of all, don't engage, and then go into the part of the phone that allows you to block the number and just block the number. You might end up blocking four or five numbers in a day, but that's the only way. On uh yeah, my ex came to my wedding, says Anya, and I went to his Crikey. And after 25 years, he sought me out, says this message. He's divorced from another woman, and they've two boys, and now we chat every day. There you go. I like that one, though, Anya. My ex came to my wedding, and I went to his. Wow. 1857
6: Can we just talk?
2: The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium
0: spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork Cream.
2: Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays
0: from midday on Cork's 96FM. Whether you're at work, working from the back bedroom, or just out in the school run, I'll bring you all your favourite tunes and everything Cork from 12 on Cork's 96FM. Just something we're
3: staying across. There's more speculation coming out now about what's going to happen when we can go outdoor dining again and then subsequently indoor dining and hotels and and all that palava. The parliamentary party meetings of all the big parties are tonight as far as what they usually are on Wednesday. So maybe tomorrow we'll check up on what is being planned and on Friday we get the announcement. But they're saying now six people, six adults at a table and then any number of children, up to nine children. So you can have a group of 15, but nine of them have to be children, probably under 13. That's coming. Up. We'll get more, put more meat on those bones uh, in the, the days to come. But tomorrow, uh, Thursday, is the sixth annual Mind Your Selfie Day. The what? It's the Mind Your Selfie Day. It's a social media campaign run by St. Patrick's Mental Health Services and uh, one of the areas they're going to be looking at uh, this year is the impact of the past 12 months on young people in particular. But let's talk to Paul Gilligan, who's Chief Executive of St. Patrick's Mental Health. And Paul, good morning to you. Good morning. Talk to me me first about Mind Your Selfie Day and the history of it.
12: Yeah, so it's a concept, obviously, building on the idea of taking a selfie and the idea that sometimes if we reflect on ourselves, think about what makes us feel good emotionally, what's our challenges, that it's a very useful uh, process. We, We began it five years ago. The uptake has been incredible every year. And this year, we've really used it as an opportunity to... Give some messages to people, get people to reflect on what's going to happen when we start to open up and what sort of emotional challenges will people likely face. And it's meant to be done in in a fun way. So we ask people to take a picture of themselves, a selfie. Reflect on that, send it into onto our website, uh, share it with friends if they want, but all in the context of looking after yourself and your, particularly your mental health.
3: We've talked a lot about the, the, the pandemic and its impact, like lockdown and missing school and all that, the impacts on young people. What, what are the key challenges that you've discovered?
12: Well, I think, I mean, I think we, the, the challenges come from what we've been through, and in many ways, the whole nation will be going through a post traumatic stress reaction to that. So, you know, never before have we had such a focus on sickness and dying. Many people will have directly direct experience of somebody close to them dying. Uh, social isolation is a massive issue. Um, family change. You know, the very fact that you're at home trying to uh, get through your school day and your parents are there and they're trying to get through their work day and then educational change. But saying all of that, there's also been some very positive change around people's realisation of what they can and can't cope with Uh, how they can make sense of massive amounts of information we're going to need to look at the losses and the positive changes and we're going to need to apply the learnings from all of those to what is going to be a new world for us not not, not in any way a restrictive new world but a new world of of going out and and having to take risks again of having to maybe learn a bit more about how to socialise again how to Make sense of what 's happened, but also understands that we do have to go back to you know to, 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 to socially engaging to going back to school every day to mm. balancing out our work from home and, 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 and in the workplace so, we 're all a
3: little bit traumatized by it and and we need to kind of get our as we know thankfully through vaccines and great science and things like that we 're going to be able to get some get our lives back bit by bit, but we may have forgotten how to do it and we need to, to help each other and particularly help the young people.
12: Yeah, I think it's a particular a, a particular issue for young people, and I mean, none of us have been through a pandemic in our lifetime, but adults have been through other traumas. You know, the uh, the recession being, being, being one that comes to mind. Young people have been through that too, but for for young people, this is this is a whole new experience. Being, you know, the, their their schooling changed dramatically with an announcement, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I won't go through them again, but I I think there's a couple of important things. I think first and foremost for young people, there's a there's key messages the first one is this idea of backing yourself you know research indicates that 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 most young people have an inner resilience and really our job as as parents or as adults as teachers is to help them link in with that that's really important secondly for them to understand that they should trust others talk about issues, talk about worries. You know, many young people think, you know, everything's going back to normal, so I I need to just get on with it because I, I shouldn't be one of these people who comes forward and says, actually, I'm worried about going back to school or I'm worried about having to socialise with friends. And then that this this thing about embracing uncertainty. And I mean, I, I couldn't you speak highly enough of young people in terms of this, but it's going to have to continue. We don't know because people are saying, well, what happens if we start... Like I heard your, your earlier piece about going back into restaurants. You know, will that, how long will that last? What's what's the impact of that going to be on my life? So we've had to learn to embrace uncertainty, but we need to really reinforce for young people that they should do that, that Mm. trying to seek certainty is not going to help them psychologically.
3: Now, just on a final note, um, Paul, the Leaving Cert is coming up soon, and for the second year in a row, it's it's a very different kind of of leaving cert and we know that if there's a leaving cert in the house the whole house effectively is doing the leaving cert but how how can parents help the youngsters facing into a very uncertain kind of leaving cert
12: yeah i mean every year i go out and talk about this and in a way, many things don't change. And in a way, of course, the, the Leaving Cert students from last year and this year have had additional challenges, but that's what they are, additional challenges. The most important thing about the Leaving Cert is keeping it in context. The most important thing about the Leaving Cert is making sure that you don't come out of it with a psychological or emotional difficulty that you, that you wouldn't have otherwise had if you hadn't sat the Leaving Cert. The secondary piece is getting a good Leaving Cert. If you don't, well, then you look again at your options. But ultimately, it's about keeping it in context. And I think, again, coming back to this resilience, helping young people to focus on their emotional strengths, and they will be able to cope with all of this change and uncertainty. But my key message to young people doing their leaving cert is keep it in context. It is not the be-all and the end-all. Mm. Of course, it's really important, and we're not undermining the amount of work you've put in, but remember, from an emotional level, it's really important to keep uh, okay. keep your emotions in context.
3: Okay, and to take part today, just take a selfie, put it up on social media, uh, on the, has- the hashtag MindYourSelfie. Paul, thank you very much. Paul Gilligan, Chief Executive of St. Patrick's Mental Health Services, and they have... It's tomorrow. Thank you, it's tomorrow, not today. Uh, the number, they have a helpline number, uh, free support and information service, oh one 249 and all the threes. Oh one two four nine double three double three experienced by our ex staffed by experienced mental health nurses 9 to 5 Monday to Friday. Alright. Oh, 01 249 double, three, double, three. Some stuff coming in on this. Uh, can you be friends with your ex? Uh, uh, Mags has put up a little meme and she said, If the answer to this is petrol, then probably not. The meme is if your ex was on fire, what would you use to put them out? Thank you, Max. And I'm reminded of another one. of a couple. He says to her, What would you like to do with my body? And she says, Identify it. Olivia, I think this beats all the other answers to Can you still be friends with your ex? Olivia says, Hi PJ, my ex was the best man at our wedding. And you were the DJ. Ha! Thanks, Olivia. And thank you. I'm keeping very well. I miss doing the odd wedding, to be honest with you. Um, I would normally be doing a few in the summertime, but not this year, obviously. Uh, (laughs) the, The ex was best man at the wedding. That's the best yet, I think. 1850-715-996. Right, back to the story we started the show with and the news that broke this morning that the uh, Board board Planola has refused permission for the building of 179 apartments at the site of the former Bespera mother and baby home. And effectively, on Board Planola is saying we can't put Anthem there because, well, we don't know whether the children are buried there or not and the chances are that they are. I'm very much paraphrasing, but a lot of people are welcoming it. Doanakha, Sinn Féin TD. Donal, good morning. Good morning, PJ. This announcement, you, you can't put words
6: on the joy in the campaigners' minds this morning. Absolutely, and some have been a contact already. and I think, as well as joy, there's relief there. Um, I think that people, look, I think people have been through an awful lot. Uh, obviously, people have been through an awful lot through their own experience, but even in terms of this uh, planning application when it was announced, when it was applied for, I think it was upsetting. It was worrying for people who were who are wondering whether somebody belonged to them might be buried uh, on this site uh, and their supporters. Um, and the oral hearing look, I mean, people ended up giving testimony and making submissions that probably, you know, found that difficult, so that would rather not have had to do that. Okay. Um, uh, and they did that, and that's to their credit, but um, it would have been very, very difficult that this is all. I think probably been quite triggering, quite upsetting uh, for an awful lot of the survivors, so uh, I, I really welcome this decision uh, it was I suppose hard to know exactly what direction it would go, I was at the oral hearing I participated a lot in that along with a number of other local representatives and indeed the Minister for Children as well yeah. um, and I'd never I'd never attended, I've attended a number of oral hearings on planning issues before, but I've never attended a hearing, it was it, it was quite jarring, really, to be honest, yeah. PJ. You know, you're used to thinking of considerations of planning. You're not used to debates about whether or no, not... No, and it was, you know, I, I was sense. reading the testimonies coming
3: out of it. and It was very moving. Br- briefly, because we only have about a minute What should happen now? You're talking about protecting the site, but isn't it not time to look at the 857 missing babies and declare the place a crime scene and, and
6: call for a further investigation? Well, like, I mean, absolutely. Like, I mean, I think if there are, you know, if the Gardaí believe that there's scope and that they are able under the legislation to to do that and to investigate that in that context, they should do so. But, like, I mean, I suppose there are other organisations that need to be involved here. The department needs not look, like, they've been too slow on this, to be honest, because this, we've been talking about this for a while, they should be intervening in all the mother and baby sites, not just in SESPR. They should be putting in place legislation and putting in place a framework for how, these sites are investigated okay. and consultation. And the council needs to protect this site. They need to ensure this development now doesn't happen okay. and that there's no another application.
3: Park it there briefly. Thank you very much, Donica uh, for that. Danica Learish in TD. That's it. It's been a packed Opinion Night today. Edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Moray Tuig. See you tomorrow, just after nine.
6: Can we just
2: talk? The opinion line on Cork's 96 FM with Dairy Made
0: Premium Spread 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork
5: Cream.